Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Lazat unable to clear. Tyler Johnson hurdles over a stick. Kings pick it up. Anderson Dolan stretches for Fiala into the zone. Fiala stop. Rebound. Score. Anderson Dolan starts the scoring tonight. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Behind Anderson Dolan with a pass. Fiala picks it up. Anderson Dolan scores! His second tonight! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. It's time again to crown another King of the Week. And joining me to do that this week, you should recognize her name and voice if you've attended a Kings game in the last few years. Our national anthem singer, Hannah Davey. How are you doing tonight, Hannah? Oh, I am wonderful, Jesse. It is wonderful to be here. So excited. All right, we're going to get to you and the anthem and uh, finding out more about you in a second, but let's go into King of the Week. This is one of those weeks where I feel, I feel bad because um, I hand you sort of a crummy week uh, to pick from. We've got the 4 nothing loss to the Dallas Stars, uh, the 5-3 to loss to the Nashville Predators. Last night we're recording this following the win over the Chicago Blackhawks and then a win over the Chicago Blackhawks where only two goals were scored. So... You know the format. We're going to start with you, your honorable mention for this week. All right. My honorable mention for this week is QB Quentin Byfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just noticed that he has been playing really well. He's been making smart plays. Um, what I really appreciate is that he's using his body a lot more. He has a lot more physical play. Um, during the Dallas game, he had... The most petty hip check, which as a fan, I really needed something like that during the Dallas game because, boy, was I getting frustrated up in the stands. And then during the Nashville game, he had a really good hit on Carrier, which I was like, oh, yes. Then he netted this, you know, beautiful power play goal. And it put the Kings up 3-2 at that point. And even though we didn't get the win... um it really put us in a good position and it gave us that potential to win. So that's why QB is my honorable mention. Yeah. And I'm going to focus in on that goal. I'm glad you picked him. He was not actually on my radar, but uh, I'm glad you did. Cause that goal he scored against Nashville reminds me of the player that I saw playing in Ontario a few times where once, and this is, you know, the, the notion of him being drafted as a project, gets tossed out there, and this is where you start to see it. The more time he spends in a league, the more comfortable he gets with the speed of competition, with the size of the competition, and with his role in the game, the more you see his confidence start to grow to make the moves that he made to score that goal, right? Collecting himself, 
corralling the puck, making one move, and then finding the time and the moment. And the fact that he has the wingspan that he does and the dexterity to use the wingspan, right? Because it's one thing to be tall. <laughs> it's another thing to be tall and to have control over your length. Absolutely. Um, that's that goal he scored. I've seen him score at different levels and there's not much you can do when a player that size and, and with that stick handling ability and that aim, uh, you know, employs all of his tools at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I have been saying for a while now that I think he's a player with a learning curve that starts flat and shoots upwards. And so seeing plays like that really, really make me comfortable in believing that I'm correct. So yeah. that's a good choice, I think. That's a really interesting point you make because um, a lot of what I hear or of a lot of what I read from like fan sites and stuff is that he's, you know, developing as a centerman. And my thought was this kid needs more minutes. I don't mm -hmm. care where you put him, but you know, he needs to be further up in the lineup getting those minutes. So he understands how this particular league works as opposed to the AHL. Yeah. And, you know, every time I'm happen to be sort of fascinated by where players play uh, on the wing, if they're on their strong hand or their off hand. And the one phrase that I keep hearing time and time again that drives me nuts is, oh, it doesn't matter once you cross the blue line forwards or forwards. And <laughs> I don't particularly like that answer when I get it, but he's a player who needs to get uh, better may not be the right word I'm looking for. He needs to get more comfortable as a National Hockey League player. And at this point in his career, I don't think it matters if he's doing it at center or uh, or wing. And the fact that he's learning lessons, board battles, defensive play, whatever, whatever those lessons he's learning, um, I think can only serve him well. My honorable mention is Martin Kromiak um, playing for the Ontario Reign. Uh, four goals, one assist, five points in his last three games, including a hat trick on January 21st. This is a player that, frankly, Hannah, I had gotten a little tired of hearing about because the day he was drafted in the fifth round, everyone was like, oh, Martin Kromiak fell to the fifth round. And then a bunch of um, people, no offense to anybody if you were one of these people, but a bunch of people who, let's be honest, had never heard of Martin Kromiak, <laughs> maybe before a, a month before the draft, were like, oh man, brilliant pick by the Kings to steal him in the fifth round. I was like, you don't know. I don't know who Martin Kromiak is. You don't know who Martin Kromiak is. Like, I hope he works out, but I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back too hard for being a fan of a team that, um, collected a guy in the second round that many had. As high as the second, anyway, fifth round, excuse me. Um, And then he started his professional career this year and he didn't get into a lot of games and he started slowly and now he's scoring a bunch of goals and it, it looks like he may be uh, living up to uh, that hype as a fifth round pick uh, who could have gone in the second or third round. So regardless, uh, honorable mention, big week out of Martin Kromiak and he's been playing well prior to this week too, but the right. calendar is what the calendar is. Um, so your runner up then? My runner up is everybody's favorite media darling right now, Kevin Fiala. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's been that focus for a really good reason. I think it was tonight, Jim, or excuse me, again, this is after the Chicago game, but, yep. uh, Jim Fox mentioned that he makes the players around him better and it's reflected in the numbers. Um, Right now, he has 33 assists to go along with his 16 goals. I know when we got him in the summer, we were really hoping, you know, goal explosion. But I 
think the fact that the players around him have to are forced to think faster, are forced to be on their toes, need to be in the mindset that there is a scoring chance whenever you're going to be on the ice. And he does make players around him better. I mean, Fiala had both of those primary assists on Jarrett Anderson's dual Jarrett Anderson Dolan's goals, say that five times fast, um, during uh, the game tonight. And, you know, it those primary assists led to that win over the Hawks. Yeah, um, he was my original pick for runner-up, but because you've selected him, I'm going to go with somebody else. But you're 100% correct. He actually leads the team in primary assists this season at all strengths. And... It's an interesting conversation that we've been having up in the press box. I'm not sure I know what the answer is. But the question is, who, never mind position, never mind contract status, career length, whatever. But like, who are the two ideal line mates for Kevin Fiala? Mm. You know, of available players within the Kings organization. I'm not sure we know what the answer is yet, but it's whoever it is, it's people that are ready, willing, and able to shoot at any moment in time because Kevin Fiala might find you and you might have a scoring chance and you should take it when he gives it to you because you're right. He he drives that line. I think I heard Jim Fox say that phrase tonight on the telecast against the Blackhawks or maybe it was Patrick O'Neill or, or Derek Armstrong during the intermission. Somebody was saying, you know, that Fiala, he drives that line. Um, and it's one of the reasons that moving him to the quote-unquote third line isn't necessarily uh, as big a deal as it would be with other players because whatever line you put him on, he's the driving force on it. Um, Absolutely. So and that's having, an excellent pick. Having three dangerous lines is better mm-hmm. than just having two and better than just having one. So if Martin Kromiak um, was a cheat, this is a, an even bigger cheat um, for my <laughs> for, for my runner-up. I'm going with Brant Clark uh, playing for the Barry Colts. In the Ontario Hockey League, like Martin Kromiak, he's having a great month. But uh, in the past week, two goals, three assists, five points in three games, just like Martin Kromiak for the Barry Colts. He's regained the captaincy down in Barry. Um, he's captaining his team. And uh, we played some audio from him on uh, the most recent episode of LA Kings Game Night, the uh, pregame show for uh, home games on the radio. Um, but yeah, Brant Clark. I understand those who want Brant Clark to have been retained and kept on the Kings roster. And I think that in a different world, it would be good to have Brant Clark on the roster. But I think the the corner that the franchise painted itself into at this point in time, the right choice is Brant Clark playing those minutes, getting that time in Barry, even if I perhaps would have painted uh, the team into a different corner and and <laughs> a corner that would have allowed Brand Clark to play in the NHL. I don't believe that's the corner that we're in. Um, so runner up for me is Brand Clark. Uh, that brings us to your King of the Week. Well, you got to cheat twice. Yep. So I'm going <laughs> to cheat for King of the Week because right, Jesse, you gave me a rough. Week. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> so my King of the Week is the entire game entertainment staff because when we're having those rough weeks when we're having those rough games like we have had this week and then even previous before when we were playing new jersey um the game entertainment staff always brings it um 
they've been booking really great acts. They've been doing a lot of games that are new. Um, and they're doing a lot of small touches that I, as a fan, really appreciate. Um, for instance, uh, <laughs> uh, there was a, an instance where we had a cup of noodles flying from the ceiling. That <laughs> was amazing. I got a good laugh out of that. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. Or um, we brought the t-shirt cannons back. Um or we're using the like the post game song that the team likes to listen to in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Blue by BB or Bebe Rexa. Um, and that's like our hype song now. And it is such a nice touch. And we have such a good, strong staff that I just have to throw it a shout out to them, give them stick taps because when we have some of those really rough games, fans are leaving still in a really good mood. And that's really important in the fact that we're in sports entertainment. I am glad that you picked that because it gives me an opportunity. Um, Mikey Alexander, Sean Tabler. uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm going to blank on everybody's names because I don't know all of their full proper yeah, names Patrick. off the top of my head. Patrick Dupree, Kristen, uh, Goose, Maria, Goose. <laughs> uh, Samaria. Yeah, they're all great. And the reason, I mean, first of all, the, the, the elements that you see on the Jumbotron that are being introduced this year, the videos that the production team has a bit to do with as well, Trev and, uh, and Chris and, and, um, God, I'm sorry, um, uh, Phil. Sorry, Phil, I blanked on your name there for a second. Um, but uh, and Nathan, um, there is there is such an unbelievable spirit of collaboration in that group. I drove out to Arizona with Mikey uh, to watch that game in Arizona, and a conversation he and I had on the drive turned into a bit. And <laughs> and, and if I bump into Sean and I say, "Oh, I have this idea." And I turn around and like two weeks later, it's on the Jumbotron. Absolutely. And Mikey and I saw something that the Coyotes were doing. And on the drive back, we were just sort of playing around with ideas of how it could be incorporated into a Kings game. And there it was at the last two games they've been doing it. Um, and, and it's great. And I've tried to get Sean on. He doesn't want to come on yet, but he will at some point in the future. We've had Kayla. We've had Mikey. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a yeah. lot of it's a lot of fun. That That's a good a good team. I like that. Um, unfortunately, Hannah, the correct answer is Jared Anderson Dolan. Um, <laughs> All right, I'll allow it. <laughs> so uh, the Kings only pick up one win this week, and the man with both goals in that win uh, was Jared Anderson Dolan. Drafted in 2017, um, a player never really looked to to provide a bunch of offense, right? Like the ceiling for him has always been sort of solid bottom six player will do the things that players don't want to do. Um, but when you play on a line with Kevin Fiala, uh, you're going to get opportunities to sort score goals. And he did that and, uh, picked up two important points for the LA Kings. So congratulations, Jared Anderson Dolan, this week's King of the Week. All right, Hannah, you picked the entertainment crew and you left one name or we left one name out of that list of people that we were talking about. Um, and that name is Hannah Davy, because because I uh, I have seen you on the concourse. I've chatted you up during games, and I've seen the people that wander up to you and and 
you know, tell you what a great voice you have and what a great job you do. And I'd like to think that I'm one of those people, too, because I think as decent a job as you do with the American national anthem, I think you absolutely slay the Canadian national anthem. I used to hate playing Canadian teams because it meant standing there for two national anthems. And I just really don't have much patience for national anthems. Um, but I actually really enjoy listening to using the Canadian national anthem. Um, and I know the feeling is mutual from everybody I've spoken to. So how did you get, how did you ever first sing the national anthem at a Kings game? Well, it all starts with a familiar name to, I'm sure, to many, uh, Tracy Starr. Okay, who, sure. Uh, works at the Bailey's Buddies booth, uh, and she works for the King's Care Foundation. Uh, you can't miss her flaming red hair, beautiful mm -hmm. big personality. Um, every year, she uh, works with a group called the LA Kings, or diehard LA Kings fans, and they do a pucknick during the summertime instead of a picnic it's a pucknick we're very mm -hmm. clever and um i was going through a rough time uh during the summer of 2018 and was going through twitter trying to find some kind of hockey content because i needed hockey to get through this rough time and i found tracy and i messaged her and i said hey can i come to your picnic <laughs> And she thought I was nuts, but of course she's like, yeah, sure. Thinking that I would not come. Of course I came. And I was then on introduced to this wonderful group as Twitter girl. And, <laughs> you know, Twitter girl came to the pocket. Can you believe that she made it? And through Tracy, I got opportunities to sit on some focus groups for season ticket holders. I was a season ticket holder. Uh, I am still a season ticket mm -hmm. holder. Um, and I got to meet Brooklyn Boyers, who at the time was running uh, Game Entertainment. And I saddled up to Brooklyn and I said, how much do I have to bribe you or donate to King's Care to sing? And she's like, girl, just send me a tape. So I recorded myself singing the American National Anthem. And I was like, you know what? I should just throw in O Canada and see what happens. And a week or two later, I got an email from Brooklyn that said, hey, are you available to do that Canadian anthem for the Winnipeg game? And I said, oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> and I got to do my first anthem on March 18th versus the Winnipeg Jets. That's, that is a very good day, by the way. I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but that is the birthday of the Stanley Cup. I had no idea. Oh, it was so a there great you go. Um, so how does that turn into doing it? Well, actually, first, the first time you sang the Canadian National Anthem, did you have the French bit in there as well? Or did that come later? I did not learn French. That, okay. so that <laughs> came later. But I right. can tell you that when the Jets fans yelled out True North, it scared the bejeebus oh, out of sure. me. Because <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. But, you know, you power through. Mm -hmm. And then actually, it was it was an honor because the referee came up to me and complimented me. And my thought was, and it was, um, oh, Mark, Mark, Mark Jeanette. And he, he came up and he complimented me. And I thought, that's a huge compliment because I'm sure he has to sit through this song all the time. <laughs> um, and to take the time to say, Hey, you did a great job. Really meant a lot. You really do. And maybe it's just because O Canada is, is objectively a better song than it the is. star spangled banner. That it, but uh, so how does that become then, you know, the sort of 
full-time anthem singer gig. You know, um, I kept getting opportunities to come and sing every once in a while. I, I got to do uh, the American anthem during the preseason uh, in 2019, 2020. And then, you know, a pandemic happened. Sure. Um, so what happened during the pandemic is I ended up recording myself singing at home in a couple different places in my front yard, which was really inspiring to my neighbors because I am awfully <laughs> loud if you haven't heard me before. Um, and then I did one in the house, which I have the funniest photo of me singing this, you know, national anthem, sitting on the floor in my Crocs and, you know, sleep shorts with a jersey on and a, bl a king's blanket as the background, which is like quintessential pandemic, you know, Zoom. And they were using my videos before the simulated games on Twitch. And through that, um, they just kept using me every once in a while. And uh, Sean reached out after, you know, everything kind of calmed back down and said, hey, we'd like to have a meeting with you. I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, I was offered the job to sing full time and you know the waterworks happened and it was an ugly cry and I was just so so shocked and honored to get this opportunity was there anybody in the king's organization that ever reached out to you and told you that you should really um understand uh, your worth and uh, and and advocate for you and uh, let you know this that guy named Jesse Cohen was like <laughs> hey <Okay. laughs> you should like really do this more often you should really reach out <laughs> No. So what time, so I know you get there uh, early because I see you all the time. Like what time, what, what kind of prep goes into oh, singing it, the anthem? It's fun. Um, so I actually teach full time. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a day job, mm -hmm. uh, but fortunately my day job, you know, works out for this. So I teach middle school, sixth, seventh and eighth grade special ed. I joke that I'm going to heaven. And after school gets out at 310, I hop right into my car and onto the freeway. And um, I warm up in my car as I'm driving uh, from Thousand Oaks to downtown. Um, Thousand I turn Oaks, on... native Hannah Davy. Thousand Oaks, native Hannah Davy. I love this campaign for Trevor Moore, by the way. <laughs> and I'm very, very proud. I actually teach at the middle school that he went to. No kidding. So, yeah, for real. It's oh. funny because some of his Does he know that? I don't think he knows that. Oh, well, all right. But if I ever well, get to we're, him, I'm going to tell him. Please it's tell all right him. with you. <laughs> yeah, some of his teachers still remember him, still like him. So Amazing. Yeah. But uh, I, I get in the car, I drive downtown, I listen to the same album because it's the perfect warm-up hype album for me. What album? Uh, it is the Rock of Ages original Broadway cast album. Of course it is. Because, you know, Journey, Sticks, and Poison is my jam. And uh, I belt my little face off as I'm driving down the freeway. So are you just singing the anthem over and over and over again? Or are you singing songs that get you in the vocal mood? Songs that get me in the vocal mood, in the vocal range. What's mm -hmm. really cool about musical theater and singing along to like musical theater, um, even though this is rock and roll and I really am a rock and roller, not a theater person, um, it it forces me to like use different parts of my range it forces me to um do some character voices that warm up different parts of my vocal cords and and it makes me laugh so that's always wonderful 
when you're performing the anthems uh has anybody ever given you notes like do you get feedback or do you just say you know what this is how i'm gonna sing it and take it or leave it so i do have to perform the anthem within a certain time limit Mm-hmm. So I have to get it done within like a minute and 30 seconds just because of how it works on television. And, and that's really strict, the timing. Um, I did freak Dieter out once. Um, <laughs> Dieter plays along with me. Um, I was having a rough uh, voice week the other week, actually. And I had to do the Canadian anthem. And I knew I wasn't going to make those runs where I, woo, child at the end. Mm-hmm. And... um I ended up going way down low, and I know I expecting that. <laughs> I told Zach Dooley, "I prefer when you go up." Yep. <laughs> it was funny. I lost my voice, uh-huh. so that week my kids got off very easy. It was just a silent work week because Miss Davy <laughs> not lecture this week, mm-hmm. um, so I lost my speaking voice. But thankfully, I could still sing. But I wasn't going to make those notes. <laughs> do your do the students know? that you have this role they do i don't think they really care <laughs> yeah sure well that's yeah <laughs> i don't think they really really understand i do have a handful of students that come to games and think it's pretty neat um and i actually had one of my former students uh sit with me for his birthday game he was so excited to sit with me and um you know that's a connection that i can make with some of my students but uh, most of the time, I sing at them during class, so I'm sure they're very <laughs> tired of my voice most of the time. Uh, as a fan, what is it meant to you to now, when you're on the, you know, intermission, you're on the concourse, you're walking around, to have people come up to you and acknowledge the the role you play in the evening's entertainment? You know, at first, it was very much that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, it was very real. Um, like, don't get me wrong. I know I'm good, but, <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's mind blowing sometimes that I get to set the tone of an entire evening for people. So in theater, um, we say that, you know, while the whole show is important, people will remember the beginning and people will remember the end the most so knowing that i'm the first thing most of the time that people see before puck drop that's very important to me and it's important that i get i that i get this right that i set that right tone so they can enjoy the rest of the evening there are a couple anthem singers that i will always remember you know davis Gaines for years pia toscano um and now hannah davy i mean it's you know, it's you're becoming an institution. Um, and and you know, one of the things that I believe carries I don't know, values seems too silly a word to use, but one of the things that I really appreciate about sports and have grown to appreciate over the years is the role uh Kings games play in replacing ritual in my life. You know, when I was a kid, I had school. I had, you know, I attended synagogue regularly. I went to Hebrew school. I had Boy Scouts. I had, you know, band practice. I, you know, like I had things that I had to go and do. Um, And now I don't as much. But Kings games, you know, it's a, you know, 
for better or worse, it's a community. You go, there are traditions, there are rituals, there are things you go and things that must happen in order for the night to feel complete. And the national anthem, as goofy as it is, <laughs> um, no offense, is one of those things. But I mean, you really do a tremendous, I mean, you really, I know you don't need me to tell you, but you really oh, do shucks. an unbelievable job. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and and I, it, it is a treat for me to get to be, you know, to be your friend, I would hope. The, oh jesse you're well, a mensch of course you're my friend <laughs> but you know driving out to arizona and seeing you there and and seeing you at games it's it's uh it's great it was there uh was there one game that was um you know the biggest deal to you yet oh gee um so a lot of people ask me do you get nervous before you sing and i don't um mm. i really don't i get hyped up and then sometimes I get too much energy after <laughs> where I definitely embarrassed myself in front of players once. But um, there hasn't been a Kings game, even the playoff games, I felt fine. But during the rivalry series game, I was a nervous wreck. Really? Because Yes. <laughs> because I was singing for two Olympic teams. And that um... to me was a really big deal. And... Um, and I was going to sing in French um, because I purposely learned French after we acquired Phil Deneau. I was like, oh, mm. I want to do this for him. I like want learned to learn the language? Song. I didn't learn all the language, but okay. I definitely learned the song. All right. All right. Just checking. <laughs> um, so I, I sang uh, O Canada and the Star Spangled Banner for the Rivalry Series. And I was overwhelmed by the emotion that was in the building at that time. and I. I think I did a pretty good job. I don't remember me singing, but I got to meet Marie-Philippe Poulain afterwards. Mm -hmm. And she said, we've never heard it sung like that. Thank you oh, so wow. much. That's great. And I was just shaking because she's like amazing. Uh, recently, I had an opportunity to join Mikey on stage 308 or whatever it's called and speak to the building, which I had never done before. And I, well, maybe a minute before we were live on the Jumbotron, I looked out on the, at the building I've never addressed before. And I looked to Mikey and I said, I said, this is objectively terrifying. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh no, you'll do, you know, and in Mikey fashion, he was like, no, you're going to be great. And I was like, no, I'm, I said, don't get me wrong. I'm not scared, but it's just overwhelming. It's a lot of people. I mean, you said you don't get nervous, which is why I'm telling that story. But like the first time you did it, or even every time you do it, it's a it's a big building and it's a lot of people. It is. And before this, I've probably only sung in front of like the biggest crowd was like two to five thousand. Like that's mm -hmm. an estimate. That was that all. Um, yeah, which is still pretty big. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're in front of eighteen thousand people um during you know a playoff game and you know the energy in the building and you really do feed off it it is it's for me it's not nerve-wracking it's just you feel a lot of that energy i don't know if it's just because you know i'm a hippy dippy and empathetic or or what but it is an overwhelming amount of emotion are you wearing an earpiece when you're when you're part of the pregame? No, you're just. No, out there. I like to make life easy for everybody. I'm like, ah, I'll do it. So, do you get cued? I mean, how? What's the? How does it? Well, you know, if I, the voice comes on and says, you know, now to sing your national anthem, Hannah Davy, 
Do you, do you, how do you like, how does Dieter know to join you? How do you know to join him? There's nobody giving a one and a two and a one, two, three, four. Nope. I uh, actually got to go up to where Dieter plays the organ just recently and Mm. learned a little more about this. So this is new to me too. (laughs) Um, So everybody is on headset. All of like the stage managers and Mm -hmm. the producers and such are on headset. And that's how you communicate with each other across the building. And someone cues Trevor to introduce myself. And at that same time, they're cueing Dieter to get ready. Um, Dieter knows where I start as uh, musically. He starts to play. I get my musical cue from those first few notes that he plays. Mm-hmm. I start to sing. And he has a monitor upstairs where he gets me directly. And he'll follow along to my pace. So there's no conductor. There's nothing like that. We just we're just feeling it together and he can follow me and I can follow him and it works out. Did you guys rehearse together before? I mean, at this point, I suppose you don't need much rehearsal. You've done it a billion times. I know you do rehearse it an hour and a half before the Yeah. So I I do rehearse an hour and a half before every game. I do both songs if I need to. Mm -hmm. Um, I have seen moments of, uh, chaos sometimes for anthem singers so in my brain i always have a backup plan so like um and we also have a backup mic just in case so uh Perfect. there is a stage hand that has a second microphone just in case the microphone i have dies um but like i've seen somebody whose mic was out and they yeah. didn't get that second microphone well don't panic you just hold the mic up in the air and you have the people sing for you <laughs> Uh, things like that that i already have in the back of my head that knock on wood just in case never happens um that we have that backup contingency plan and then he'll run out and i grab the second mic have you ever just gone blank on the lyrics um i haven't yet uh so i'm hoping i'm not jinxing you with that yeah (laughs) right i did have a moment where i was just like um i get gleaming and streaming Hmm. mixed up sometimes and then i had to actually read the words and uh remember that it's in alphabetical order so i'll be okay um there was well, one what do you mean by that uh gleaming oh glad gotcha right, before right. streaming so mm-hmm. i will always remember where i am Good trick. um there was one time that i was pretty distracted <laughs> while i was singing um when i was in in my section in 214 singing um, and we had all the people around me, and it was it was a really cool shot. Season ticket appreciation night. Yes, yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I sat in my season seat, uh, section 214, what's mm-hmm. up? And uh, I had everybody around me, and I started to sing. And normally I can just kind of block everything out because I can't hear anything. And I'm starting to sing, and I'm starting to look around. And I was like, oh, there's a baby crying. (laughs) People are talking. Hey, I could see me. Oh, I'm singing. So (laughs) I was just kind of just wandering around. But thankfully, I didn't forget anything. But that was probably the most fun uh, brain moment I've had. Have you gotten any invitations or opportunities to perform anywhere else as a result of being the anthem singer for a National Hockey League team? I have. So I actually um, have gotten to sing, gotten the opportunity to sing for Los Angeles Football Club. Um, Angel City Football Club has reached out and has wanted me for next season. Um, 
I'm trying to get LA Kings Night at the Dodger game. So if anybody <laughs> with those hookups, I think that would be super cool. I mean, surely to God, we have hookups there. That, Doesn't Dieter play the organ that, for the Dodgers? I'm sure that organ player can hook something up. Um, but the coolest opportunity and still the weirdest opportunity I've had. Uh, oh, one more. I'm actually going to sing for the South Bay Lakers next okay. weekend. So I'm pretty excited about that. I just went to my first basketball game. It's a way different vibe. But yeah. yes, it is. <laughs> was, it's like basketball's weird. I don't <laughs> get this. <laughs> but the most interesting opportunity I had was in 2019, I got to sing for a boxing match. Yeah, right? And so um it was it was wild. Where um, was that? This was at Staples Center. Okay, crypto.com arena, sure. Crypto.com yeah. arena, then Staples <laughs> Center. Sorry, swear jar. Put the money in. Um I was invited to to sing and I it was myself and a woman from I believe Ukraine who because uh one boxer was from the United Kingdom uh the other was from the Ukraine and they wanted the American anthem to like represent where we were so i walk up the steps to the ring they open up the ropes and i'm like oh this is cool um i felt smart enough to ask ahead of time what should i wear to this good question and they said wear pants <laughs> I said okay so i get up into the ring and I crawl through the ropes and then I look down and there's blood all over uh. the ring <laughs> because I don't know why I didn't make this connection. I thought when people punch each other, like in the movies or something, it's just sweat flying off their face. Apparently not. It's blood. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> there's blood on this ring. And then I turn around and look at the the Ukrainian national anthem singer and she's wearing a pure white jumpsuit oh, no. <laughs> that trails behind her. Mm. But she walked through those rings like a boss and just mopped the floor of this blood. Yeah. It was the weirdest, weirdest opportunity I'd ever gotten to sing at a boxing match. But I'll do it again. It was kind of cool to watch, but... Now I know. Uh, always wear pants and don't wear white. Yeah, well, lean on Dieter to get you at a Dodger game. I feel like that's got to be the easiest um, <laughs> thing we can accomplish. And Lakers and Clippers ought to be easily accomplished as well. Hannah, when are the, when's the next time you're singing the anthem at a Kings game? Oh, geez. When's our next Kings game? February 11th. <laughs> Justin Brown. <laughs> I was a little bit nervous you didn't know the answer to that question. Yeah, it is February 11th. Um, and I'm bringing it up specifically to point out that you will be singing for uh, the evening when Dustin Brown has his jersey retired and a statue put up. But also because I want to tell people, um, and I don't think we can tell them enough, if you're going to that game on February 11th, yes, be in your seats at 6 p.m. At 6 o'clock. It's six o'clock. Um, I'm a little bit nervous. The people aren't, aren't going to know that. Uh, so I'm going to try and say it as many opportunities as I have. If you're going to the game on February 11th, the night that Dustin Brown is having his jersey retired and the statue is unveiled, there is a fan fest at four o'clock. Ceremonies begin at 6 p.m. I understand that the scheduled game start is 730 as most Saturday night games are, but be in your seats at six. If you take anything away from this conversation, if you're going to that game in your seats, 6 p.m. 
I will tweet that out like a million times. Uh, what, it time? Needs, what time? It needs to be done. 6 p.m. 6 p.m. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Anna Davy, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure to be here, Jesse. Thank you so much. And I will see you on February 11th, uh, uh, earlier than 6 p.m. Yeah, but everybody else will see you at 6 p.m. Joining us now, filmmaker Mike Bromley. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And featuring Zach Dewey. How are you doing today, Zach Dewey? Jesse, doing great. Doing great. Now, Mike, we have you in here to talk about Balance and Alex Iafalo's story. Uh, would it be fair to say, I mean, it says so at the end credits, but directed by Mike Bromley? Yeah, absolutely. Now, when it comes to a short like that, surely, you know, it's not the same kind of direction as, say, on, like, you know, a narrative feature film or something. So what goes, what was your role in creating that video? Um, actually, kind of going all the way back to 2020, Alex and I ended up talking and kind of throwing the ball back and forth on creating a small surf film on him, a narrative of some sort. Um, so we kind of actually, or my role, sorry, from the get-go is kind of writing the story, if you will, producing it, pulling it together, organizing with Alex and the Kings, and then directing him in person what we want. We kind of broke it down to three scenes, as you see in the film. And uh, directing his movements and his, you know, surfing even throughout and hiring a couple camera operators to shoot with him in the water and on land. And I'm directing them and directing, you know, exactly how you would direct any type of other film or commercial or anything like that. So when we see him floating on his board, staring into the mid distance, are you telling him, you know, like think about your first dog, you know what I mean? Like, I want this kind of... <laughs> yeah, a, a few times, yeah. No. I shot um, water with Alex um, one time in uh, San Clemente and just giving him a few directions, more so just like Alex took direction really well. And it was almost just paddle back and forth, kind of thinking about, you know, how I'm going to cut the film where the camera goes up above the water, down below the water and such. And then uh, I had another... Um, colleague philip mansfield shot the end section with alex kind of the more high performance surfing so i don't know what they talked about in the water but they did a good job did you film any of the uh in arena stuff from the hockey side or was that footage from uh, the kings the majority of it was uh from the internal team here at the kings um any of the tunnel stuff i did shoot myself um, I shot one game that we didn't really use a ton of footage from. I commend the internal camera operators of the Kings, how much time and effort goes into trying to capture those exact moments and get them in focus as a player, as Alex flies by the boards a million miles an hour. It definitely is tough to do. So I commend the guys here for all, how they make it look so good. How much of a difference was trying to shoot hockey? Because if you're shooting, you know, Alex in the water, it's one-on-one. -on -one, you kind of know it's just him. But hockey, he's only on the ice for, say, 15 minutes. And you never know what three moments of the game might be the ones that you want, right? Exactly. And uh, there were some similarities into that. Sometimes when you're shooting a surfer and they're out in a really crowded lineup and you're trying to pick them out and all of a sudden they're standing up and you just, just get them at the last second. I felt like that when I did shoot the game with Alex. I definitely missed half of his shifts here and there because you couldn't even... It, the game just moved so fast. It was so hard to track him down. It feels likely, Zach, that footage in the video i haven't gone back and confirmed this but may have been shot by chris rogers probably who i think has a, a background in shooting skateboarding, uh, skateboarding. oh no so way i don't know yeah. if that that all makes sense okay. yeah definitely <laughs> there you yeah. Go. um so how did you you said you started talking to alex about this back in 2020 how did you connect with the la kings or with alex i follow um it actually was pretty um I don't know the word. It just kind of came about pretty naturally. Uh, I was filming and creating some shows for Red Bull. And there were surf films, obviously. And uh, I think I 
well, this was so long ago now, I believe I saw that Alex commented on one of the videos or something. And, you know, growing up in Canada, I'm a hockey fan and I saw his name and was like, oh, wow, someone from the LA Kings liked this film that we did. That's pretty cool. So I actually just reached out to him directly. I DM'd him on Instagram and said, hey, myself and my colleague like making surf films and films in general about interesting characters. And we always loved making surf films about different places, cold weather places, interesting folks around the world. So we kind of thought, hey, this would be pretty cool to do something on an NHL player that surfs. That seems very rare to me. Um, and Alex was really cool. We went back and forth. And obviously, it was 2020. So it was a long time coming to <laughs> yeah. actually be able to shoot together, be allowed to shoot together. And then just all the pre-production of getting the project approved and so on. When I watched the video, and I think I talked to you, Zach, about this, and we had the same thing. When I'm, I'm watching the video and the end credits come, and I've spoken to people in the organization about it. I said, who is Mike? Why do I know the name Mike Bromley? And I couldn't put my finger on it. So I started, you know, I hit the internet as one does. Um, And I was stunned to learn that you grew up in Nova Scotia and that's where you got into surfing. Yes. You didn't move to California and find surfing. (laughs) Surfing exists in a big way, apparently, in, is it Cow Bay or Cow's Bay? Cow Bay. Cow Bay, yep. Nova Scotia. So how on earth is there surfing in Nova Scotia? Yeah, it's actually pretty good. Uh, cat's out of the bag now. It was a secret <laughs> for a long time, and I grew up surfing there. Um, and, you know, honestly, the way the coastline is shaped and the direction it faces, the waves there are world-class. They're amazing. And I've had a little bit of a, a little bit of a shock moving to California over the last few years. How many people surf here? It's not very crowded where I live and such. So it's cold there, but the waves are very good. Is there a community up there into surfing the way there is now that you've lived down here and seen it? You just told me you're from Santa Barbara. You've been in LA. Like, are surf communities a through? Is there a through line? Through surf communities, no matter where you go? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the scene at home is growing very, very fast with the te- wetsuit technology these days. Uh, you know, uh, the internet's helping with surf forecasting. And we never had any of that growing up. I feel like I kind of sound like a dinosaur now, but 35 and we all started when we were like 14, 13, 15. So we were kind of that last era, uh, where it was strange to surf in Canada. And now there's an amazing, seen up there even the west coast has some people that are going for olympic uh spots in uh, the next summer games and stuff like that so it's really taken off in our country you had alex up there yet i haven't no, no? uh we've talked about it it's hard with his schedule because yeah, sure. our um our season is really good in the dead of winter or it's really good in the fall so it's kind of tough for him to make it now it might be when he's you know a little like later on in his career when he's done playing or we could swing something in maybe August or something. But I, I know he actually has a good friend that lives in Nova Scotia. He was telling me that um, lives in the surf community as well. He doesn't, I don't know if his friend surfs as much, but he, he, Alex is on it. He's seen all the photos and I've gotten in his ear enough to try to get him up there. The dead of winter. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> that's not what I, I expected yeah. you to say there. Yeah, it's uh, it seems crazy, but it, the waves are world class. And if you're a surfer, you would see the photos of the waves that we did surf in January, February, March, and they are very good. Now, pardon my ignorance, but um, I've only been to Nova Scotia once in my life, uh, but I've been to Ottawa a number of times in the dead of winter, and it was inhumanly cold. I mean, I my my dad's entire family still lives in Ottawa, so I've Spent a lot of time there, summer and winter, and summer's lovely, a little humid for my taste. Winter is nuts. How do you go from, I have to assume, snow and ice into the ocean to surf and then back 
into snow. Like, why? What? Yeah. <laughs> I will say Are there that no other number options? one, why? Number two, how? Yeah. 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 For some reason, uh, you know, Ottawa and Ontario as a province is way colder generally than Nova Scotia. Okay. We'll get some nasty weather and it will still be very, very cold. Don't get me wrong. How cold is very, very cold? Um, you know, minus. Okay. Yeah. My, yeah, I, don't, yeah I don't need yeah. to know the You're number. Good. We're good. The question stands. How and why? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, the wetsuit technology is so good these days. It really is amazing. The waves are uncrowded. They're world-class. Um, I'm really blowing up my uh, my home spot here. I feel like my friends at home will give me uh, some crap for this, but it's, it's just a great surf community, and it's a great coastline, so it's worth being cold for. Has your blood thinned yet from being in California? 100%. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I, in my younger days when I would spend more time in Ottawa, you know, I'd stay at my uncle's house and say, oh, somebody needs to go shovel the drive. I'd do it and I'd go out barefoot. And my family's all looking at me like I'm crazy, but it was a novelty. Now, I'm a little bit older and I haven't been to Ottawa in, I don't know, maybe a decade. And it gets below 70 and I'm not going swimming because when I get out of the pool, I don't like it. It's chilly. Yeah. You know, how... (laughs) What's the water temperature? Yeah, like um, the water temperature would probably be. It can get to freezing. There are certain yeah. waves that you God. can't surf because there's yeah. ice in the water yeah. and such. But it's like, is there a difference though between like forty degree water and fifty five? Like at a that little, point, is bit. it just cold? It, yeah, it's like, just cold. You know, like I feel like when I was a kid, it was like we always vacationed yeah. in Maine. And I'd be like, ah, I didn't care what it was, but it was like 50s. And now I'm like, there's no way I'm going in that. But like, if it's if I'm going in 50, like, what's the difference between that and 35? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just cold overall, but you, you get used to it. Sorry to make this all about me again, but spoken like yeah, someone but... who's never been in minus 40 weather, because there's a point where well, I mean, very cold reaches, okay, my, I'm going to expire. Well, minus 40 is one thing. Yeah. <laughs> 40 regular is another. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, minus anything is is cold, mm-hmm. uh, no doubt about it. So, you mentioned being from Canada, being a hockey fan. Which hit your, you know, internal radar first as a kid, hockey or surfing? Oh, hockey for sure. Yeah, I actually grew up in Coal Harbor, home of Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon fame now. Um, so, it was hockey central our whole childhood. And then um, found surfing probably when I was about 13 or 14. Friends, older brothers did it nearby and then kind of learn that you could surf there as well. And then actually that's kind of when we all stopped playing hockey and all started surfing for the most part. What was your team? Um, to be honest, I didn't really have a full team growing up. My folks are from Vancouver um, area. So Vancouver Canucks were, my dad was always a Vancouver Canucks fan. And then growing up in Nova Scotia, it's always seems like someone's either a Bruins fan, Habs fan, or Leafs fan. And it's like those three kind of stand out. They all but. make sense. Yeah. And yeah. Three, three fan bases that historically get along famously and all yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very passionate fan bases yeah. too. All melting pot in Nova Scotia. That's for sure. Do you guys have the AHL or a minor league team nearby? I feel like there's always a team, what, in Newfoundland? Is that over that way? Yep. Yeah. Uh, we have the Quebec Major Junior team. We have the Mooseheads, okay. who yeah. have always been generally very good. They won a Memorial Cup a few, well, quite a few years ago now, but with Nathan McKinnon, Jonathan Drewen, and stuff like that. So they're pretty big in our town. And then that's where the um, World Junior Championships just were this year in Halifax. We just talked to uh, Cameron Gauntz about it, who is, as he put it, has maritime in his blood. Nice. So. Um <laughs> Big fan of Classified at all? Uh, slightly. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's not totally my vibe, but yeah, he's a, he's a city hero, that's for sure. Yeah, he's a maritime rapper. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm great research. Yeah. Well, nice. I, yeah. yeah. Um, it's got a great song called The Maritimes. It does. Um, That's a good song. But did you know him before? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I good on you. quite like Glass of It. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when you're making this film, uh, calling back on both your surfing experience and your hockey experience, would you... Would you feel comfortable hearing that somebody had made this short film that didn't have a foot in either camp? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I I feel like making surf films, you need to have a little bit of an expertise in it to do it properly. And we just lived it and, and did it as a career for so long. So I think that helps. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of amazing uh, surf films and hockey films out there, I'm sure, by people that have nothing to do with either one or interest in either one. But I think it really helped with cutting the surfing from an editing standpoint, making it look good, cutting hockey from a, you know, from a viewer, like a fan standpoint, you kind of know what looks good way we're cutting Alex passing the puck and skating by the camera. I think it helped to actually be a fan of surfing and hockey to portray it properly. Favorite hockey movie. I mean, Slapshot, I guess would be the, it has to be it. Not good. Not goon. I don't hey, know. Yeah. in Halifax actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I think I like the old school. I think Slapshot for me. Favorite surfing movie. Oh, that's tough. Um, probably The Endless Summer 2. That was created in the 90s, I believe. And that was kind of what we got us all started on it when we were younger. When we, when the Kings, I shouldn't say we, when the Kings won the Stanley Cup, we, uh, I belonged to an independent group of hockey bloggers at the time. We created a poster of, based on the Endless Summer poster. That oh, cool. Silhouette with, but he's holding the sure. cup over his head. Are there kooks in Nova Scotia? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's kooks everywhere. Did you know the word before you left Nova Scotia or does that word exist? Oh, that exists there. That's okay. just, that's all around the world. Yeah, it's all good. But yeah, there's I'm sure there's kooks in hockey too. We have a different <laughs> word for them, but Zach, do you know what a kook is? I have it like it just feels like a like a a nut job type person. Sure. Yeah. Is, is that accurate? Like I've heard the word, but I couldn't. It's definitely derogatory. Okay. But it's uh, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, essentially. A newcomer oh, who's okay. out there either yeah. faking it or like, so like doing a, it wrong. Like a bender? Yeah. That's probably yeah. a, a better hockey term yeah. for it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that would be it. And I don't like throwing shade at anyone who's beginning or, or learning. I, I don't like calling them as kooks as much mm. as kind of the guys that almost take it too seriously. Those that. The, the word can be used for several mm. different personalities, I suppose. Yeah, someone that might get someone hurt, I think. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I had a question and it totally blanked on me. Uh, oh, is Alex a kook? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no. Did you tell us if he was? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no. He is not a kook at all. Alex is, it's actually pretty impressive. And I mean, I guess that comes from being a very good hockey player in the NHL, being, you know, a true, true athlete. It was pretty amazing watching his level of surfing progress over the last two years. We started hanging out and surfing and shooting together. And even from the first time we hung out to one of the last times we shot together, I was actually very impressed considering his schedule is so crazy. I don't even know how many times a year he actually can even get out surfing. And it's pretty amazing watching his level change and change and grow. When it came to the title balance, that could be applied so many different times. There's the physical, actual balance required to surf. There's the balance required to be decent at hockey. There's the metaphor of balancing, you know, professional and personal lives. Where did the title came from? Come from, and and who was behind that concept? Yeah, I, I created that um, 
that title, you know, quite some time ago. That was actually right when we started coming up with this idea um, and building the story out and everything. Balance was kind of just something that popped into my head and then it just stuck because it does work for everything you just described. For me, I, I was almost more so trying to dive into the differences of hockey and surfing and how they keep Alex balanced. And not even, sorry, the differences, the similarities as well. And I just thought it was so interesting that you could perform as you know, an NHL player in one of the roughest sports in the world under the big lights of, you know, crypto.com arena, so loud, so crazy. And then just, you know, the next day be sitting out in the ocean quiet. And we tried to, you know, show that in the opening credit sequence, how we tried to cut back and forth with sound design to kind of get to show that, you know, I grew up with a, a bunch of friends who do surf and I, tried it it was never for me but one of the things that shocked me the most talking to alex that i had never considered before was that when he's in the water he talked about how he thought about his game thought thought about hockey thought about the season thought about the team i assumed surfing was a mind clearing experience not an opportunity to reflect on other parts of your life do you find that to be true of yourself um yeah i actually think that it's, you know, without getting too deep, it's quite a meditative experience. It's you're out there. I mean, it can be crazy and people all around you and such, but there is so much time of you just sitting there alone in the ocean. There's a lot of time to think about stuff. So when I did interview Alex, I was asking him that and I, I told him, you know, I wanted to keep his interview very real. I didn't want to put words in his mouth or anything like that. And we talked about that a lot. And he came up with that and said, yeah, I actually do think about the season all the time. Think about mistakes I've made, what I can do better, how good I have been doing and everything overall. It's nice to just reflect, you know. So I'm sure that at some point in your life, surfing was maybe your balance as well. Now that you kind of professionally get involved with it, is it still a balance for you when you're out there? Or do you have other areas of your life that are your balance? Yeah, no, surfing would definitely still be that for me. It, you know, it, you do get burnt out on it a little bit when it started to become a job. But as soon as you actually paddle out and you're surfing and you're with your buddies and stuff like that, everything resets. You just go underwater and it's almost like everything washes off you from the day, you know? As surfing became a larger part of your life, you've made a you know a movie about it, shorts about it. Have you replaced it with any other, I don't want to call it hobby because that feels dismissive, but have you found other passions that play the role in your life that surfing used to when you were younger? I haven't actually. It's still, it still is surfing. It's kind of like, I mean, somebody said in a surf movie once, it's kind of like the mafia. Once you're in it, you're not, you're not getting out. And I know people who surf who are, you know, 70 years old and they're still as stoked on it as they were earlier on. And I feel like I'm still kind of the same. I don't think it's going anywhere. Well, if you want to pick up hockey the way Alex picked up surfing, we've got Daryl Evans. Yeah, Daryl Evans. Teach you how to skate. Oh, perfect. Great. Sounds good. Skates without laces. So I think balance uh, (laughs) plays a pretty big role in that. Great. Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, is there anywhere we can direct people to find out more about you and your work if they want to? Uh, yeah, we have a production company, Proper Standard uh, Productions. Pro- uh, we are properstandard.com. And uh, my Instagram's at Mike Bromley. All right. And go watch The Perilous Sea if you want to. And, of course, go check out the LA Kings YouTube page, Balance and Alex I Follow Story. Mike, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, guys.